First Time Feelings is a monthly podcast hosted by two Melbourne women exploring universal human experiences via micro-narratives based on first-time feelings. Whether it be shame, guilt, longing, anxiety or lust, each anecdote is an honest, witty and relatable vignette that taps into the messy human journey we're all on. Naming and reclaiming emotion, one feeling at a time. Hi, my name's Ruth. And I'm Crystal. Welcome to the maiden episode of First Time Feelings, a podcast dedicated to our experience of primary emotions told via micro-narratives. So for our very first episode, we are tackling the feeling of performance anxiety. So this is a feeling that's really close to both of our hearts. And, you know, we're introverts, but we're both performers and drawn to performing and other extroverted activities like this, making a podcast about feelings. It just kind of felt like a natural first feeling to tackle. What do you think, Ruth? Absolutely. In fact, I think that we discussed this after we reunited in 2016 and sat in the tote garden and talked about how incredibly anxious we were about playing music, but continued to do so. We pretty much bonded on this feeling. So it just felt like this had to be the first one. So we hope you enjoy the very first episode of First Time Feelings. I used to think Star Mites was the coolest place in the world. Every time I would put on the sky blue leotard with its garish stripes of hot pink and fluoro yellow, I would feel like I was on top of the world, part of some special club, ready to literally climb to great heights and complete feats of physical strength and agility. As you walked into the gymnasium, you were greeted by a majestic sight. Young girls completing floor routines with effortless grace, pointed toes daintily making their way with perfect precision across the balance beam, muscles in strong arms holding fast on the uneven bars. Tiny person after tiny person soared over the vault in a continuous loop. The gymnasium was a hive of constant activity, a blur of skilled movement in every corner. Ordered chaos abounded. It was quite the sight to be seen. Each week, I would don my uniform, pull my hair back into a tight bun and usher my parents out the door, eager to get to gymnastics on time. I didn't have any friends in my class, but I was fairly new and this didn't bother me. I was there to learn a skill contort my body into strange and beautiful shapes and hone my physical prowess so I could become a skilled and nimble gymnast. I watched the gymnasts on TV during the Olympics and their combination of feminine grace and masculine strength seemed to epitomise the perfect combination of talents. Neither grace nor strength came very naturally to me. I would ascend the balance beam and feel wobbly for the entire length of it. I was far from being able to cavort, let alone cartwheel along the thing, On the rings, my puny arms would barely pull me up straight, let alone support me to do anything fancier. On the floor, I was slightly better. I could forward flip and cartwheel, and the ground under my feet made the floor routines feel more achievable for me to master. Really, I wasn't that great a gymnast, and I was never going to be. This was the first telltale sign that sport was never going to be my forte. Still, at nine years old, the world was my oyster. Everything was worth trying. It was fun and there was seemingly no consequence if I actually wasn't good at it. I was curious and I liked the process of learning and testing my malleable mind and body. I'd been going to gymnastics classes for a few months now and all the practice had been leading up to a competition. My category was girls 8 to 10 years and everyone was expected to enter and perform. This didn't seem like a big deal in my naive mind. The competition was only open to the gym students, most of whom I was at least partially friendly with. And there were medals and ribbons to be won. 
But I didn't fancy myself at the school level to win anything. I was quite the wallflower in the classes, plodding along at my own pace, occasionally making a small effort to talk to other girls, but mostly keeping to myself and trying hard to get better. A competition didn't seem like anything to worry about. I'd complete my floor routine, it was the only heat I'd entered, and no one would even notice my performance. It would be over in all of five minutes. I did not invite my parents to watch me compete. I don't recall why. For whatever reason, I played it down, acted like it was just another regular class, nothing special. My mum dropped me off. I arrived at the gymnasium on time, only to immediately realise it was a very different atmosphere to the gym. The entire space was empty, except for the large group of contestants and parents gathered on the benches opposite the area reserved for floor routines. I cast my eyes across the gym. The rings swung slowly, the minimal remnants of kinetic energy equaling an eerie calm. The balance beam was covered in talcum powder and ready for the onslaught of tiny people that would soon be flipping across it. The fluorescent lights beat down from the ceiling. I looked up and stared right into them as they cast a harsh light across the empty gym. The expanse of space was confronting. The gymnasium felt foreign. The air was cold and the expression on my fellow gymnast's faces were blank. I tried to smile at a few but they averted their eyes. They were nervous. Anticipation was in the air. It hung like a thick fog weighing down on the souls of the 30 or so nine-year-olds and their helicopter parents. I suddenly wished I'd asked my parents to come. They would have stopped me coddling this sinking feeling that had begun in my stomach and had now spread to my chest, arms and legs. I walked slowly to the benches where everyone was gathered. The walk from the entrance played out as if in slow motion. I could feel each step as I sunk into the spongy floor of the gym mats. I noticed everyone who looked up as I approached and mentally catalogued their expression for later analysis. My hair kept falling into my eyes persistently. Suddenly my leotard felt too tight and I started to fiddle with it. Finally, I made it to the benches. When I sat down, I became acutely aware of a huge swell of noise as if the volume on the world had suddenly been turned up. I looked around. The faces didn't look so blank anymore. In fact, there was noise everywhere. Eager and giddy gymnasts were chatting while stretching. Parents were offering words of encouragement and the competition had begun. The balance beam routines were up first, then the uneven bars and then the rings. I watched in complete awe as my peers soared in the air, performed perfect flips and proved beyond a shred of doubt that they were not mere mortals. I looked on in total admiration. Finally, my time had come. I stood up and quickly realised I was shaky and not feeling very steady on my feet. I made my way to the corner of the large floor mat where I needed to be and every eye in the house was watching me walk towards the starting point. I reached the corner, took a deep breath and raised my arms above my head, preparing to start my routine. It was then I was overwhelmed with an influx of thoughts beginning with, what routine? My brain had shrunk to the size of a pea and was now taking up a 20th of the space it normally did. It had retreated into full submission. I took another deep breath. My hands were still in the air and I had not moved. My body was poised and ready, but my brain asked again, what routine? For a significant few seconds, there was silence. A tumbleweed ambled along the empty, deserted plain that was the place my brain used to be located. Then, out of nowhere, a small squeaky voice said, Do a cartwheel! Okay, a cartwheel. That's how the routine starts. I took another deep breath and prepared to do a cartwheel. I conjured some energy in my calves, tilted my body and propelled myself sideways. I landed with a hideous thud at my right side my shoulder and head bearing the brunt of the fall. 
What had happened? I've cobbled a thousand times. What on earth had happened? I picked myself up off the ground with a pulsating headache and very sore shoulder. I looked around and saw a room full of people glaring at me. I realized I hadn't put my hands out as required in a cartwheel and had essentially propelled myself headfirst into the carpet at full speed. The eyes of the crowd remained on me. My breath began to quicken and I felt the expectation of a large group waiting for something to happen. The show must go on. Tears had begun to well in my eyes, partly because of the pain and partly because of the nerves. I raised my hands in the air again, took a deep breath and walked a few steps preparing to slip down into a full split. The split happened. My body hadn't found me. I was in position with my arms spread out at right angles to my body. I'd done it. I looked at at the crowd, hoping for a cheer or some kind of approval. Nothing. Bored looks and crickets chirping. I was so aghast at the reaction that I lost my balance and began to tip sideways. A few sniggers erupted from the crowd. My face began to turn red and the tears started to trickle down my face. I stood up, shaky from my big toe all the way to the tip of my nose. I turned to my brain again for guidance. Now what? Don't ask me. I'm just trying to stop the blood rushing to your face and all that water dripping down out of your eyes. I stood still for another few seconds. I tried to smile. I'd observed in other situations that doing this put people at ease. A few girls in the crowd semi-smiled back. My body relaxed for a few minutes and I was re-energized. My brain decided to chirp in. It's time for the round off. I gathered all the remaining strength I had and began to run. After a few short meters, I soared off the mat and began my ascent. All seemed to be going well. It was not to be though. Those pesky arms of mine betrayed me and failed to leave my side. Instead of extending to meet the ground to propel into the flip, they stayed glued to my side. This time I landed squarely on my head. My already pounding head took another hard hit. After impact, I keeled over and began flipping from side to side in agony, like some kind of beached whale lying on the sand, wondering how they'd got here and who was going to save them. An animal thrust into an environment they could not survive in. It all went black after that. Not because I knocked myself unconscious, but because my tiny nine-year-old brain has blocked out whatever happened next. Um, I actually have a lot of questions, but also some consolations. <laughs> I'm very sorry. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very sorry that that happened to you. And actually, although I am, I really want to ask first how the brain can override a survival instinct, <laughs> such as um, putting out your hands um firstly I just want to ask did any parents like help you or console you Arthur considering you had like tears in your eyes and as I said I really do not remember what happened directly afterwards like I really have just erased whatever happened after that horrible nightmare (laughs) experience (laughs) but I'm pretty sure that nobody like checked if I was okay or helped me which made the whole thing much much worse like I think I sort of expected that maybe as I was performing the routine and I was getting upset that maybe someone would like run up and be like it's cool you don't have to compete anymore it's yeah. just sport it's not a big deal yeah. but actually everyone was very serious about competing yeah and I that was the first time I realized that you know it's not all life is not all fun and games and also like no adult intervention because I think that the parents in those competitions are so serious too um stage parents and they're like really harsh I think you know yeah no I think you know I think 
what I do remember is that I, th- I got this feeling that they were actually kind of like, oh, very good. She yeah. has failed. My child will now have more chance to win. Yeah, like uh, you're in a baby beauty pageant or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So, which leads me to ask again, um, what do you think happened? <laughs> <laughs> to my arms. Yeah. <laughs> and has it happened again? <laughs> um, well, I don't know what happened to my arms definitely I still don't know I just know that I think it's like my brain was so nervous and for the very first time um like I'd never had that feeling before I was super super nervous and I think I was like concentrating so hard and it was like I couldn't do that many things at once. Yeah, so you couldn't multitask. I know? couldn't yeah. multitask. I couldn't, like, I, I got too distracted by the crowd. I was kind of looking at the crowd and then I was like, okay, I've remembered what I have to do, but not really how to do it. And I put, you know, like my legs were doing the right thing. Yeah. But my arms, they they just tapped out. They didn't, they didn't want to have a bar of it. And do you think that's like a root performance anxiety trauma? Like, could that be... The reason I still have performance anxiety. Yeah. Oh yeah, like one hundred percent. I feel like there is there is no no doubt. Um, but also I think it's that that first time you have that feeling where there's this, you know, this act or this performance, this you know, this thing that you've done quite a few times before, and you've never really thought much about how to do it like I'd never put any thought into really how to do a cartwheel I was just like I just cartwheel like I'm a kid um, and now I cartwheel at gymnastics and it's not really that much different from when I cartwheel like in the playground or in the park I'd never really um had to think that much about how it actually went like you know propelling yourself onto your palms and flipping yourself over like I'd never thought about it and all of a sudden it was like, oh, oh, I should be thinking about it. Oh, it doesn't come naturally. Oh, I need to think about it. And now yeah. I've overthunk it and now I have totally blanked on how to do it. it. It's like the fear is birthed by competition or like, and it's like the birth of fear because like before that you're fearless because it's just like your body just does the thing. It's natural. Yeah. You know? It felt very, that cartwheel felt like the most unnatural thing I had ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as I said, I, I was not and am not a natural gymnast. So no more gymnastics. No more gymnastics. No more gymnastics. No. Yeah. No. That may have even been the last time I went to gymnastics. I'm trying to remember if I kept going to classes. I think that might have been it. Did you cartwheel ever again? Because I did it recently and it's hard. Yeah, I think I did. I think eventually I did cartwheel again, which is good. But just, just not under pressure, not um, in front of a room full of, you know, it was quite a lot of people. Like, yeah, 30, about 30 like competitors and then their parents. So it must have been like, you know. Yeah, almost a hundred people, house. which is a lot for a. Yeah, and I th- especially unchaperoned. I think that's the thing. It's. You just get such a sense of you being really alone and, and like, <laughs> I, I like parentless in that situation, which yeah, is like I, they we, basically orphaned me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Damn you, parents. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, so, did you tell them about it? Or? 
I actually didn't. I think I felt um, great shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a Harry Carey moment. Yeah. 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 So I just pretty much hid that away. Um, un- Internalized un- it. Yeah. And, yeah. Un- until now. Yeah. Now I'm just telling the whole world. Yeah. You've or, um, excavated anyone who chooses to listen route. to our podcast, <laughs> yeah. which is hopefully the whole world. But, um, you know, one step at a time. Yeah. Cool. So does this mean it's time for yours? I guess it does. Yeah, I'm on the gangplank. And my piece is uh, called The American Revolution. I don't know why I decided to dress like George Washington, but it was a mistake. I was nine when I moved from the Midland Brick and Yellow Sand Beach sides northern suburbs of Perth, Western Australia, to Dublin Island and then NYC, the Big Apple. By the time I got there, age 10, I was a lusty Yankee file, stupidly infatuated with America, thrilled to ride on a yellow school bus to my elementary school, brown paper bag in hand. For years, I'd swallowed American sitcoms, swooned over MTV, Hollywood movies. I wanted out of my backwater town in a country dubbed the arse end of the world and into the States. I adored the highly emotively charged Pledge of Allegiance, I ate up the Star Spangled Banner in the same way I huffed fast food and every kind of radioactive junk now available to me. My pupils were permanently wide and my mouth salivated for the street foods. Roasted honeyed nuts sold by vendors, pizza pies, hot saucy cheesy slices so big you could fold them with bubbles in the dough, sandwiches with six kind of cold meat called cold cuts, fake cheese in a can, marshmallow and peanut butter together, cakes rumoured to be radioactive, pizza pockets, pop-tarts, knishes, bagels, pretzels, ring pops, candy bars longer than a ruler. I briefly, blindly worshipped America. And my brother had styled me as a new wave Barbie doll. I had an asymmetrical bob. I was wearing Doc Martin boots, ten hole. I listened to The Cure. I was a curiosity and a disappointment to my American classmates who were amused by my freaky accent when I did speak, at once transatlantic and broad Australian. Arcy, the Americans said. Back in 89, all they had for a reference was Crocodile Dundee. I'd begged to be homeschooled after experiencing school in Ireland and being relentlessly bullied. And when I moved to Lakeside Elementary School, Months before, I'd already disgraced myself by power spewing all over the classroom, including a few girls and an NKOTB pencil case. I'm still very sorry, Erica Lynn. When I'd been hurried back to class after a long absence and a violent stomach bug. The fact was, I was often nearly always sick at school because school made me sick. Once a chatty, clowning ham, a hyperactive goof, I'd become excruciatingly shy. Following a series of physical displacements and traumas, I was nearly mute at points. So, I don't know why I decided to dress like George Washington, but it was a mistake. I had talcum powder on my head to simulate grey hair. I was in drag, grey tracksuit pants pulled up high on the leg and waist, complete with long socks and leather loafers. I was meant to deliver a speech I had written for my fifth grade class. As infatuated as I was with America, I was more, even more sold on the American Revolution, which we were studying. 
I was graded 109% on a paper about the revolution, receiving extra credit for a short story written by the perspective of a young soldier. It was my very first work of historical fiction. But no one dressed for their presentation. The incredulity started as a hum and a hiss and then can curtailed laughter. I stood in front of the class, my paper in hand, and began to speak. I heard a boy or two snigger, make a rude remark. I remember one of the popular girls, Jessica Ring, a child actress, no shit, she'd actually been on Broadway, sitting in front of me, totally nearly smacking her lips. It was like the Colosseum. I was the Christian and they were the lion's mouth. Then the weirdest thing happened. My body began to shake and my knees like literally began to knock together. And then my throat started to feel froggy, croaky. I began to rub my larynx. No words came out. I was literally so afraid, my voice disappeared. I rubbed my throat manually. I squawked and I cleared. Nothing. Mute. Jessica Ring, always the star, waiting like a bloodthirsty understudy, seized upon my weakness like she was Nomi in Showgirls, practically throwing me underfoot while she seized my paper. She read the monologue like it had been written for her, Oscar-worthy tears in her eyes. I sat on the sidelines, perplexed and humiliated. My body had totally betrayed me. I have never been back to America. I still love the American Revolution, especially the Boston Tea Party. Oh my God. Firstly, I just want to say, did you power vomit over a new kids on the block pencil case? Yes, I did. <laughs> that is total blasphemy. <laughs> it was awesome, actually, because I really didn't like them. But, you oh, know. It was a statement of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty punk. Yeah. Okay. I just had to get that out there yeah. before going yeah. into the actual questions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, I'm really sorry that happened to you. <laughs> Thank you. Why, why do these things happen to kids? Poor, innocent kids. I'm sure it's all part of growing up, but anyway. So have you developed a fear of dressing up now? And do you avoid dress-up parties like the plague? That's funny, actually. I really enjoy dressing up. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I do often think that I'm going to be the only one. So yeah, like I do yeah. like I still really like costume, but I do get an irrational fear that I've like gotten it wrong and no one else is going to be dressed up. So yeah, I kind of try to do something like, you know, I'm a snappy dresser on occasion, so that it could be like, you know, I was. Am just, I dressed up? Am I? I or don't am know. I just very yeah. stylish? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the other thing I thought was really interesting is that you're a singer now, which is very um, yeah. kind of apt considering how a scarring incident yeah. could have affected your desire to perform. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, like the, the loss of voice is like super interesting. Um, I've never experienced anything like that since, thank God. Um, so there's never been an experience of like, loss of voice or muteness because that was literally like actually nothing came out um I have had a lot of tonsillitis though um and um you know issues like health issues surrounding expression I suppose or like modes of expression but um yeah it 
it it is interesting because I think it is the like you know it is that metaphorical sort of thing of um, you know speaking up, um, being heard, and expressing yourself through through voice. Mm. So do you feel like maybe there was like a like the impact of that happening to you was kind of like multi layered? Like oh, did definitely. it? Yeah. yeah did yeah, you kind definitely. of feel like? I don't want to talk up. Like, I don't want to say what's on my mind. Yeah, absolutely. It was, there was a lot of um, emotional reasons. Um, and also probably, like, on a, a very practical level too, like, um, when you're going from country to country, um, everyone's listening to how you speak. And they're kind of like, um, you know, sometimes, especially kids are pretty cruel, they belittle you for how you speak too. And, um, you know, I, I kind of had that natural chameleon sort of, thing going on when you're at that age where your accent can blend so I spoke with an Irish accent when I was in Ireland I, I, I learned how to mimic that really fast and um I tried to I kind of got I did get an American accent and then I went back to Australian but um you know it was also at times it was like to, to avoid almost being teased or to avoid people kind of commenting on what I said or you know it's kind of like you just want to be able to speak and ask for something or, you know, have a conversation without someone kind of like seizing upon um, your pronunciation and stuff like that. Mm. So I think there was, uh, you know, maybe there was a, a bit of that going on too. So um, like a kind of self-defense or something, I suppose. But um, yeah, actually just thinking about my first time feeling performance anxiety and yours, it's like, I feel like, imagine if I was performing a gymnastics routine and I was in another country. Yeah, that's right. Like, it's just the kind of double yeah, whammy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're a failure and you're a foreigner. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I think, um, I think also the, the common denominator is like a hostile crowd, um, which, you know, thankfully I don't think either of us experience that much these days. But, well. you know, it's like. <laughs> Not on a regular basis. You know, you're a difficult audience. Um, yeah, but, like, definitely I, th- I think I was a bit of a freak already and, um, you know, I was already on the wrong foot, you know, um, and I wasn't feeling, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like with performance anxiety, um, it really colours my, and anxiety in general, it really colours my perception. And I was thinking about that when you were speaking about how you were scanning people's faces. I often will do that and I perceive like it, like indifference or hostility and then afterwards someone will come up to me and, and be like, oh, that was so great. And I'm like, I've completely You're like, read. I saw your face yeah. and it did not think that. Yeah. Um, you hated it yeah. and I know exactly what you're thinking so don't try and tell me otherwise. Yeah, it's, it's my perception is so um, skewed and so mm. it's – I realized that my understanding of reality at that point is is in no way objective and even like reasonable. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think yeah, when you have had experience like um, a hostile sort of crowd or hostile reception, um, it is fairly harrowing. So yeah. yeah. Wow, it's like maybe we've kind of like carried those experiences into what we definitely have, you know, into our future selves. And it's like every time I'm having performance anxiety now, I'm just seeing like a room full of, yeah, like 
competing gymnasts and their <laughs> their angry parents like just wanting my turn to be over, just like get off so my child can get onto the it's, stage. It's also physically making it through, isn't it? Like because I feel like the enjoyment hits me halfway through, but like it, uh, so much of it is just the battle of um, actually physically making it through the set or, or whatnot. But th- that sensation of like your knees physically knocking, um, all of that that hyper awareness of like of mm, body yeah um which is you know you're so acutely aware of like you know it's it's sort of unreal I don't think anyone who um hasn't experienced that knows what that feels like it's like an animal state of panic <laughs> but at the same time like I'm enjoying myself <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm being tortured I'm enjoying yeah. it <laughs> oh god well, we do that to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Still. But we understand, so that's... Although I must admit there are many a time where I try to avoid putting myself in a in a situation where that might happen. As much as I can, you know. I think yeah. we're both performers, so it's like, oh, well, yes, you're regularly having to go on stage. But, yeah. You know, definitely at work, I'm like... Yes, I'm not the one sticking my hand up going, yes, I will present at the all-staff meeting. Yeah, well, that's the, I think that's the cortisol short circuit too, that, you know, where you you literally, the mind, go, the tumbleweed is, is going through all the grey matter. There's nothing there because you can't retrieve on the spot, you know. That's, mm. that's I can't do it either. I, you know, meetings, meetings, like even if I have to like make eye contact in meetings, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry to get a headache. <laughs> Don't look at me. Where's the exit? <laughs> yeah, I actually find that worse than, say, like getting up on stage and singing. Like that. Oh, yeah, the direct eye contact. Is, yeah. Um, yeah, and there's a big difference between like a, a meeting room with like fluoro lights and a dark city bar where yeah. you can barely see anyone. That's right. Anywhere. And someone also like actively kind of like either challenging or act active listening to you kind of going hmm mm, that's interesting yeah. i'm gonna ask you a question yeah <laughs> so true okay well i think that was our very first episode of first time feelings and thank you so much for listening um you can download first time feelings from the itunes podcast app it's the little purple one we only just worked that out recently but um <laughs> if you can't find it just look for the purple app and you can follow us via First Time Feels Podcast on Instagram for updates. Before we head off, we just wanted to say a really big thank you to the people who have helped make this podcast happen. Christopher Stevenson for doing the audio production side of things and writing our awesome theme song, and Alisa Redlick for introducing our podcast, and Erin Greer for our amazing artwork.